They should have enough. Couple, everybody get one. This is just a little, just some terms. We can start whenever you want, uh, Bill. These are terms that we'll, some of these we'll talk about tonight, but sometimes you hear these terms and you're not exactly sure exactly what they mean. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't even remember exactly the definition, so I'm giving you a couple of definitions tonight. I mean, not that it's something you want to keep in your Bible, but it is something to remind you what these words mean if we happen to bring them up. We are, most of you are familiar with the pre-tribulationism, what it means to be a pre-trib, but pre-millennialism, maybe that's not a familiar term. But we're going to start out with what's the, at the top is the, uh, the issue of the... You know, once you think about... and you, I don't really talk about this a lot when you talk about prophecy, but I happen to be reading uh, Monday, as a matter of fact, about this, and it really struck a chord with me about how the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, it deals with two distinct periods of time. One is called the present age. We're going to look at the, where the Bible says this. Um, one calls it, that's fine, you can sit down. One calls it the present age, the age that we're in, which would be the church age. And then you have what's called the age that is to come. And 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 if you know what the Bible says, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is the focus of both. So, no, so when you talk about prophecy, or you're talking about end of days, when you talk about the end of this present age coming, and then the age to come coming, it's ultimately about Christ. I mean, that that's what this whole the whole world's about: the lordship of Jesus Christ. So. This age is about Christ in the church. Is what the Bible's about. Talk to somebody today about that, and and the coming age is about Christ reigning and ruling, and uh, so and so the New Testament talks about those two ages. So we're in a present age, and there's an age to come, and Jesus is Lord of both. So, but right now, uh, I think in a minute here that the disciples understood, you know, the present age until whenever. The Bible defines when this present age comes to an end, and then there's the age that's to come. And but Jesus is Lord of either, either one of them. So if you got your Bibles, you're going to want to have them with you. Uh, so I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Uh, I have those hymns, uh, Bill. If you'll see me after, I got you can see me after. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to listen to what Matthew chapter 12, and let's just begin in around verse 1. Well, I tell you, while you're doing that, looking up Matthew 12, we're going to look at three passages in Matthew chapter 12 real quick. So it says, The disciples understood that Christ's judgment and wrath would terminate this present age. So everything's going to rock on along until His wrath brings this to an end, this age to an end. And if you're reading the New Testament and you hear what Jesus says in Matthew 24, He mentions this event called the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation. So you realize that things are going to stay the same at the present age, but it's going to come to an end, and we believe that's the end of this age is going to be the end of the tribulation. And then it says, and then after the judgment, the Messiah will come and He will usher in an age to come. And the age to come... Now, think about what it's saying. The age to come. 
is a millennial kingdom. Six times in Revelation 20, it mentions that Christ will reign on the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Six times. Six times in three verses. A thousand years. A thousand years. A thousand years. So, from the perspective of the New Testament, we're in the present age, and then the age to come is going to be the thousand year reign. Alright, premillennialism. Okay, and the key there is millennial. That's, that's the word, Latin word for a thousand. Okay, the view that Jesus Christ will return literally to establish His kingdom on earth. So I'm a premillennialist. So I believe Jesus is coming to this earth and He's going to establish a thousand year reign. And I believe that will happen before He makes a new heaven and a new earth. When you read what Peter says, you know, the, the elements, he uses the word atomic, by the way, atoms. The atoms will melt with fervent heat, so God's going to just change everything and make everything new. But before that, he is the, is the thousand-year reign. So after the thousand-year reign, then He'll make a new heaven and a new earth. Because there's this final rebellion. After He's ruled on the earth for a thousand years, and righteousness reigns, There'll still be sin and sin nature in people. There'll be a rebellion. And then when he, when he devastates that rebellion and just sends them all into the lake of fire, He'll change everything. He'll make a new heaven and new earth. So millennial, premillennialism is, it believes that there'll be a thousand year reign before a new heaven and new earth. Okay? Pre-tribulation is that we believe that there is a rapture before the tribulation. So uh, that Christ has a relationship with His church and the church is not going to go through the, 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 the judgment that He pours out on the world. I was talking to an individual today and uh, struggling with good and evil and all that. And, and I just mentioned, I said, just sit back and think. Because it was, it's talking about, how, you know, how can God save bad, really bad people? How how can people that are really bad later in life get saved? And you know, has and I said, I was telling him, I said, just think of how much evil is in the world. Just think about that. It and he was talking about catastrophes and innocent people dying. Number one, there's nobody innocent, right? But I said, think of all the evil in the world. How. Even in, in Wetumpka or where just absolute ungodly anarchy. It's surprising to me that God just doesn't render everything down to a pillar of salt instantaneously. It's surprising to me He saves, he saves anybody. But we know with a, it, we might, we'll look at this a little bit tonight. We understand that when God, when Christ does come back and it comes back with His church, if you rapture, second coming, that's the next thing, that he, ta- he go, takes his church up and the church comes back down, that we believe that during the tribulation the church is removed because God's wrath is being poured out. And then all through the Bible it says we're not appointed into wrath. So there's this theological view that there is a rapture. We're going to start looking at that word in just a minute. So anyway, these are key terms. I mean, there are a multitude of other terms uh, 
that people use when they're talking about the word is eschatology. You don't have to remember that word, study of end times, you know. Um, so we're in Matthew 12. I'm just talking about ages, how the Bible speaks of ages. Look what Jesus says. It says, at that time Jesus went, verse 1, uh, Matthew 12, 1. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. Oh no, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Oh no, oh no. The Pharisees say, it's work to grind the grain in your hand. That's not in the Bible. They're saying this is work. They've classified this as work. They said, so when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And, and those who were with him, I'm sorry, where, where am I reading from? Okay. Instead of Matthew, it is Matthew 12. I'm just saying, I need to go not to verse 1, 2, and 3. I need to go to 32. I'm sorry. Matthew 12, 32. That is a great story though. How, but look at, I even had it marked in this Bible. But anyway, they would say, they, they were getting on to him because they would do this and this was work. The Pharisees said this was work. And that bottom, look at verse, for the sake of time. Look what Jesus says. Uh, about, this is interesting. Um, verse 31 says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Then Jesus says, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, again, every word matters in the text. So, Jesus, just in a comment about people's eternal destiny, whether you, whether you blaspheme the Spirit, there's judgment in this age, and there's judgment in the age to come. So, Jesus Himself mentions two distinct ages of time of which man will be held accountable. Um, go to Matthew 24, and let's say, this is a great passage, we won't spend a lot of time here, but look at Matthew 24, and yes, I know where I'm supposed to read in Matthew 24. Go to Matthew 24, and we'll be looking at the first couple of verses. So as Jesus, chapter 24, 1 says, Jesus slept, by the way, this is, this is an Olivet Discourse, this is um, right before he's crucified. He's teaching on the end of days. In Israel's role in what we, as we understand prophecy, but he's talking talk to Israel what they're going to be going through in, in the last days. The, when, as this age that we're in comes to an end, and again, we don't think it's going to really end until the seven years that he's dealt with sin on this earth, seven years of tribulation or seven years of his wrath, that's when this age completely comes to an end, okay? But we are at, we're coming to the end of the age. You know, so we're getting closer and closer to those moments. So, in Israel, you know, God deals with Israel in a specific way. That, that, so, chapter 24 and 25 deal with a lot of that. Anyway, Jesus left the temple and was going away when His disciples came, came and pointed out to Him the buildings of the temple. But He answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be uh, here one stone upon another that will not be torn down. And that happened in 70 A.D. Something's going to happen to Jews. you got to think now, from 70 A.D. 
to this day, there's not a temple. Think about that. In 70 A.D., the, the Romans, Titus was the, was the commander's name, just ransacked Jerusalem. And there hasn't been a temple since 70 A.D. But you get to the book of Revelation, and you hear what Paul says in Thessalonians, and there is a temple when Jesus comes back. Interesting. Just something to think about. But Jesus, verse 3, As He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, because see, He just said this, this, this temple is going to be torn down. So they came to Him privately. So it's kind of like a private briefing. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of the coming of the close of this age? So, in their minds, there's this age that we're in. And, and of course, we now know that right now it's the church age, the age that we're in. This age, you know, at Pentecost, the church was born, and we're still in this age. And we would call it the church age or the age of grace. That's the age that we're in. So the disciples are asking Jesus, this age that we're in, of course, the church hadn't been born yet when they're asking Him this, but what's going to be the end of the age that we're in? And so the rest of chapter 24 somewhat answers that. Here's something else. Go to, go to Matthew 28. And I'm just showing you that it, it, when we're thinking about prophecy, we can, we can, we're accurate to view biblical history in two epochs of time. The present age and the age that's to come. But whatever age we're talking about, the focus of that age is Christ. Okay? The focus now is Christ's return. Okay? The focus on the next one is Christ's rule. That's, it's about Christ. So, so even the Bible in multitudes of places talk about two separate ages. But it's all about Christ. Matthew 28, and y'all know these verses. Uh, this is the Great Commission. Uh, but part of the Great Commission, uh, Jesus says, verse 18, 28, 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make... That's pretty strong. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now if you remember, we've talked many times about having a biblical worldview and understanding what happened at the Tower of Babel and understanding what's going to happen not long after this at, uh, in Jerusalem at Pentecost when everybody hears the gospel in their own language. So, because until then, the Jews, God was the God of Israel, but now Christ has come and He's the Savior of the world. And how are people going to be saved all over the world? They have to hear the gospel. Folks, uh, somebody was talking to me a few weeks ago about those, those revivals on these college campuses. Uh, I don't know if you've kept up with that. I think they've come to an end, but, but there was a couple of colleges that started having these, and I put it in quotes, revivals. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. And somebody called me and asked me about it and, uh, and uh, even asked me if I was interested in going. And, and I said, well, I'll tell you this, I've looked enough at online of some of the footage. I said, there's not enough preaching for me wanting to go to that. I said, because if, if God's Word's not being preached, 
everything that's happening is man-made in the heart and mind of man. Because it's God's Word that is going to bring revival in the heart. Not If His Word's not being preached, then everything else is my, you know, what I'm deciding. So... And that's still true. If you're if you're not hearing from God's word, you don't, you you don't. And I was telling the guy today this same conversation I had today was stop reading online agnostics and pick up the Bible and read what God says. Okay, there's there are some bizarre things that I don't have the answer to a lot of things, but God has the answer when it comes to salvation. In the end of days, the Bible answers that. So go study the Bible. That's what I told you. Anyway, let's move on. So so your scripture, the name of the Father, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Now again, why doesn't he say to the end of this age and to the end of the next age? Because the end of the next age would be redundant. Because where we're going to be when we're at the next age? We're going to be with Him, right? So think about this. You think through this logically when He says, I'll be even to the end of the age, the age that we're in. So, But He doesn't have to say that forever because you'll be with Him. So the Spirit of God... So anyway, He don't have to empower... So again, uh, one, one more. Go to Acts. Uh, go to Acts 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Um, of course, this is right before Pentecost. Um, Acts one. Now I didn't proof this one, so I, I may, I may be off, but I'm, 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 I think I wrote it down right. Acts, chapter one. Okay, verse four. Hold on, make sure it says this. Okay, it's close. Okay, here we go. Verse four. Okay, and and, and this you know this is Jesus going to be ascend going to ascend right in front of them. And while staying with them, he ordered them. This is Jesus with the apostles. This is after the resurrection, right before the ascension. And while stay and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, which they did. You can go back and read John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16. He told them all about the promise of the Father. For the promise of which the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. There's times and there's seasons that the Lord has fixed. Uh, Or or that the Father has fixed for His own. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and I'll spare it. One of the scholars was talking about somebody. It's obvious that this power that God's given is given to this present age. You know, so when you're reading this, the promises for this power is not about the age that's to come. It's about this present age. Very distinct there 
in Acts chapter 1. You keep reading Acts 1, you know, he's taken up before their eyes. Now I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, well, no, no, well, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going to read a, probably one of the most important. First, all the T's are together, 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, And this is, uh, I think when we met, I can't remember the last time I mentioned this, but I talked about there's four or five big passages that we use this word rapture uh, called up. Uh, There's four or five major passages that are used to introduce the doctrine of uh, the rapture. Now, there is an interpretation that it's a pre-wrath rapture of the church, but there is a rapture no matter where you fall and where the rapture happens, it is obvious that there's a catching away. People just have to decide when that's going to take place. Um, but I'm, I'm in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, verse 13. And what I want to do to you, I'm going to show you, um, I think last time we talked, I, I gave you some illustrations about how in God's economy, uh, like how God put Noah on the ark, so He saved Noah. And then, and then judgment came. He saved uh, Lot. He took Lot and his daughters to the safe city. And when they got there, then the angel said, "That's when the you know I can bring ju-. so safe." Or think about Enoch. You know, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Uh, think about Revelation four, one. You know, chapter church age after these things, and then you get to chapter. Four one it says after these things heaven opened up and so John now sees after the church age after these things a door was opened in heaven and so you see these pictures of of there being a, a transition of of God saves a people and then He brings judgment so I'm going to read this one major passage but I want to look at cross references that deal with the word rapture and and really. Um, if you if you go back and study the word, um, well, I'll show you in the Bible. Rapture is really not a, the good best word you can use, uh, and I'll show you that. But um, I'm I'm in First Thessalonians four, so he says, "But we do not want you to be verse thirteen. I'm sorry, four thirteen. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep." And again. Um, I'm not, I wasn't there. Uh, this is an early uh, one of Paul's earliest letters. Might have been his earliest. Uh, so he had visited there for about three weeks, and uh, it is interesting. I mentioned this last time, or at some point, First and Second Thessalonians, both books deal with the end days, uh, and every chapter of First Thessalonians mentions something about Christ coming. Every chapter. So it's interesting that that this book is an early book and what's on Paul's mind is Christ's return. But but obviously what had happened is since Paul had left there, and I I wasn't there, but this is what scholars say. So Paul preaches, he tells them about the hope of the the blessed hope. That's what he calls it in Titus, the blessed hope. The glorious appearing and return of Christ is called the blessed hope. So he's told them about Christ going to come and take believers away. But while they're waiting... 
you know, Paul preaches for three weeks. He goes off, continues his missionary journeys. So they communicate with Paul and say, hey, we got a question. People have died, so they're no longer alive. So they're wanting to know if these people died, which they call asleep, that's how Paul calls it, asleep in Jesus, what happened to them? Are they going to miss this event called the catching away by, by Jesus? So it seems as if Paul's answering that. And, and this is an extremely clear passage. You have, either this is true or it's not true. You know, either, and this is part of the present age. This isn't the age to come. This is going to happen to believers in, in the age that we're in. He says, so, I'm, see, so that you, I don't want you to grieve as others do that have no hope. For since we believe, so, so these people have died, he said, but I don't want you to be grieving like others who don't have the hope. I, here's the hope. For since we believe, that Jesus died and rose again. Now that's important. Uh, I, you know, it all starts with, if Jesus rose again, so you will. Now, you will be like Him. So at some point in your life, you're, you are going to come out of the grave and be resurrected to a new you. Uh, a physical resurrection. Now, I will tell you a mystery I can't fully explain is the Bible says absent in the body, right, is what? Yeah, but that's not you in the flesh as you're going to be one day. Because your body's that's not all going to happen till this event. Because if you die, you, what makes you you, your soul, if you want to say, okay, immediately goes to be with Jesus, your, your, your personhood. We we might say your soul, right? We that's the word, right? So your the life of your soul, what makes you you, the part that we can't see, that makes up you. If you're a dichotomy, body and soul, your soul. If you're a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit, but your soul, you go to be with Jesus. But your body goes in the so there's going to be a point in time in history. When every saint who's ever been saved, especially the new church as we know it, church age, is going to come out of the grave. And it's all going to happen together. Because think about that. That's logical because we are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Universal body. There's a universal church. There's a local church. But there's a universal church called the universal body of Christ. We are, every saved person makes up that body, just like every church member makes up this body. Every saved person. And that, that's also the bride of Christ. So it would make sense that all, them, all of us physically are going to get a resurrected body at the same time. Okay? It's not going to be separate periods of time. Now, but we go to be with Jesus and immediately when we cease to leave this body. Our souls do. Does that make sense? So you're not talking about when it says asleep, asleep in Jesus. He's not talking about, because some people believe in soul sleep, right? That your soul goes to a nothingness. And that's when some people believe people can barter and buy your way to a better place in heaven whenever you do get a chance to go there. No, it's absent in the body is to be present. So what keeps us from meeting Jesus is this physical body. 
So, so that's not, so you're with him. So just know that. So he says, so since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, folks, that tomb's empty, and that tells you that there is a literal resurrection and an eternity. Um, Christ, we're going to study His resurrection. Two weeks. Think of His resurrection. He was bodily. We just read, got close to it in Acts 1. He was bodily taken up in a body. A body that had just eaten with Him. They touched Him, shook His hand. Now, they didn't to begin with, but after, by the sea. He cooks, they're at a fire, they talk. I'm sure they shook His hand, looked at His scars, whatever they wanted to do. He literally was caught up, okay? That's a literal resurrection. And the Bible says you're going to have a resurrected body. So, and if you read, Jesus is in that form now. Now again, it's a different dimension. We don't see it. But the Bible indicates that Christ right now is in that physical form. In a glorified physical as we know it, but different in many senses. Because it's a different dimension and we can't see it. So it's alive in a dimension we can't see. But He's in physical form. That's what the Bible says. And He presents Himself as the sacrifice before the throne of God. That's what... And He does it with the nail prints in His hands. Let me tell you something. When everything's said and done, and the new age that comes, the new heaven and the new earth, I think that's when He won't have the nail prints in His hands. That's me. But until then, all through this church age, the the tribulation and even the thousand year reign, I think He'll bear the marks of crucifixion. Think about that. But he's in a resurrected body, so it means that, so. There's that. Te- so, but so, what does it say about people that don't know him? Oh, there's going to be another resurrection. It's called the resurrection of the dead. It's called the second death. Oh, they'll be resurrected, but they're not going to live with Christ. See, this is this is like, you know, this is like a creation r- rule. There's a resurrection. There's a resurrection of everybody. So either you go to be with Christ or you don't. So I mean, it's just way. To, anyway, so he I, I don't. I chased that rabbit and I killed it, didn't I? But let's move on. So he says, um, we believe that he died and rose again. Even so, the through even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So they're with God, right? He'll bring with so. This tells you to be absent. In the body. It's just a little phrase, but it tells you that those that have died are with somebody. They're with God. They're not just in the grave. They're with they. Their personhoods with God. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And this is why you don't find this written by anybody else, because Paul got this from God. Christ revealed this to him. He says, "This we say." To you by a word from the Lord. So people say, well, how come, how come Peter didn't write about this? Now, John basically writes about it in John 4, but he doesn't use the same terminology. But so this is a special revelation to, to Paul. 
that we who are alive, we, look at the pronoun, we, what did Paul think when he wrote this book? He was going to be alive when this happened. See, this goes back to people who don't believe in the rapture as we believe will tell us that, you know, it's like a, that it's a make-believe that we've read it into the text that it's pie in the sky. We're just, you know, it's a supernatural event and it's not going to be like this. But if you read this, Paul, and you'll find other places he does this, he believed this this was going to be in his lifetime. That's why he uses the plural pronoun, we. He included himself. We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Notice what He says and what He doesn't say. He doesn't say He comes to the earth. He doesn't even come close But He does say He descends from heaven. He comes out of the dimension that He's in now. It's instantaneous. I don't know how it works, but it works. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. There has to be a resurrection. Then we, again, there he is still, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be, always be with the Lord. That, that is the clearest, most concise statement about there being an event we call the rapture. The Bible uses a different word called harpazo, but translated, there's a catching away of of believers. It is specific. It is undeniable. I mean, so you have to decide when will this happen? And of course, Paul deals with that all throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. When is it going to happen? You know, well... That's pretty good. Was that a phone? Okay. Anyway, so let me let me give you let me give you some cross. Let's go back to Matthew real quick. Let me show you some cross references real quick to show you how distinct Matthew Matthew uh, go to Matthew chapter uh, eleven. How distinct this event's going to be. Matthew chapter eleven. Somebody call out the time for me. Okay. Matthew 11, we'll get through all these. Matthew 11, look at verse, um, look at verse, um, right here, um, I'm in verse 11. I'm just trying, I'm showing you other places the word rapture, I'm sorry. Where the word, okay, the original Bible word is harpazo, which can be translated caught away. The most often word used is snatched away by force. 
or raptured. You know, some of the ways we translate it. So I'm going to give you where the word appears and what, how it's translated in other places. Truly I say to you, verse 11, 11, uh, 11, uh, 11, 11. I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's strong, isn't it? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You're a member of that kingdom. You're part of the New Testament. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. By force is the word harpazo. So you can translate the word, rap, we call it rapture, caught up, you could take it to be caught away by force or to be snatched away by force. It just tells you it's not a passive word. It's a very aggressive word. It's a very dynamic word. Look at chapter 13. I'm, I'm in Matthew 13. Um, Matthew 13, um, look at verse, uh, verse 18, 13, 18. Parable of the sower. Explained. So the sower and the seed and the, and the, the ground of it, the four soils. Hear then the parable of the sower. When, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the devil or one of his minions, comes and snatches away. That's the word harpazo. So another way, so... When you now you take that snatches away and now go over to First Thessalonians four, that there's going to come a time when the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us like will be snatched away. I mean, it's a very public, undeniable. I mean, it's it's just an event that's going to be it, God's doing it by force. God's doing it. It reminds me of the angels with Lot. They took him by force to that land, to the city of refuge before they brought judgment. Uh, here, here's, some, here's some good ones. Go to John's Gospel. There's some other... Uh, John. Go to John 6 real quick. Uh, and then some of the greater ones are in John 10. But look at John 6. Just gives you some understanding of the word harpazo and that it's not, it's not an isolated word. Uh, and... Uh, like Philip, Philip was raptured. That's what it says when in the book of Acts where he was witnessing, then he was called away. It's, it's the word rapture. It's the word harpazo. So we're not the only group of people that's mentioned to be raptured. But let's go, I'm, I'm, in, I'm sorry, go back to, uh, what did I say, John 6? Go John chapter 6. Hold on, let me find a name. I marked it somewhere. Okay, John. Okay, look at verse... Don't give up on me. Hold on. Okay. Here it is. This is John 6. This is after he fed the 5,000. Okay. So know that. No, no. You have to know the historical event. Verse 15. So after he feeds 5,000 men and their families, man, you want this man to be your leader if he can make food and feed the multitude. Seriously. Because, I mean, every... 
you had to look for food. I mean, you you carried enough for at least a meal, but food was an issue, you know. So, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, is the word harpazo, by force. So, just give, go, go to John 10. Here, here's some... Here's some interesting ones about sheep. Uh, John 10. And what we'll finish with. Uh, John 10. Uh, look at verse. It gives you a good understanding of, of the word, what the word rapture means and, and how forceful it is of an event and that God's doing it. He's, he's snatching, catching by force uh, believers. Uh, John 10, look at verse, uh, I was in the wrong chapter. John 10, look at verse uh, 11, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd, uh, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf, there it is, snatches. So, again, I go to 1 Thessalonians 4. We will be snatched away. We will be called up. We will be forced out. Interesting way of translating. Uh, look, at, look at the end of the chapter. Look at, I'm still in chapter... Ten. Look at verse. Uh, look, look at verse uh, twenty-five. Uh, Jesus answered them, "I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not of part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me." I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one shall, what? Same word, harpazo. Shall snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to, what? Snatch them. So it kind of gives you you a wolf coming to grab a sheep. A little lamb tries to snatch it away from the flock. So, so it gives the idea. Now let me show you one that will throw you so we'll finish with this. Go to Revelation. This is very interesting to me. Every word matters in the Bible. Translations matter. The original language obviously matters. And how it's translated matters. Revelation 12. Did I say what chapter? It's a big book, isn't it? Go to Revelation and guess which book. Revelation 12. This is an interesting chapter. It's one of the hardest chapters in the book to explain. And a great sign, verse 1, uh, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now we're thinking that's Israel and the twelve tribes. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, of course we think she's Israel's given birth to the Messiah. Okay, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. 
with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars. This is where we believe a third of the angels, those kind of angels, fell with Lucifer. Not positive, but this is one of the verses we get from that. So, the red dragon with his tail drew a third, you know, uh, he swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. This is is you know, a Jewish woman giving birth to Messiah. Kind of picture. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. But she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was... So, Jesus was caught, and He was protected at His birth. We've read the story. They all tried to kill Him. You know, Herod and all. But, uh, caught up when He was, when he was uh, ascended. His ascension. Here, it's describing His ascension, but guess what word they use? Hartpazo. He was caught up. And you can go back and read that in Acts 1. He was caught up. But it's the word rapture. So, anyway, so I want y'all to think we talk about this the next few weeks, just think about prophecy. When we talk about a rapture, we talk about you know, the, the, the age that we're in, and this age, what we now know as the church age, will come to an end. He'll rapture the church, and this age will go seven more years, and then age as we know it will end, because Christ will be on the earth ruling. And that's the age to come, Okay. So, and then there's a thousand year reign. Then after the thousand year reign, there's a millennial king. I mean, there's a, there's a new heaven, new earth. Anyway, so the Bible's clear. So I just wanted you to see about this, uh, this idea of rapture. Any thoughts, questions, suggestions? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? It's not, we won't cover it anymore, but I find it, I find it interesting. Let's pray. It is for 2,000 years, Lord. You, your church has heard your very quote at the end of the book of Revelation where you told John, who wrote it down, that you said, I come quickly. Lord, we, we know you're coming and you obviously want us to live as if it's going to be in our lifetime thinking this makes us serve you, makes us holy, makes us love the church. So Father, we anticipate living life in this world as if you're coming this very moment. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.